0: Good morning, church. It is so wonderful to see everyone here this morning, to be together, to praise and worship our God, to encourage one another in the fellowship. I am not Eric Owens. I am shorter. So Eric is out today, and I'm uh, Brian Davis, one of the elders, and we've prepared a lesson uh, for the flock this morning. If you're visiting with us, you are our honored guests, and we'd love to get to know you a little bit better after worship, and we're glad you're here with us. This morning, we're going to be studying from the book of Ephesians, chapter 5, starting in verse 25. So if you want to be turning to your book of Ephesians in the New Testament, chapter 5, we're going to be looking at verses 25 through 32. Ephesians 5, 25 through 32, our topic is going to be the Bride of Christ, a term that comes into these passages here, and we're going to be exploring this idea together. The elders were meeting together and discussing this particular Sunday and and what we could teach and, and what would encourage the family here together, and as we were doing so, I related a story uh, that here in the last few weeks uh, at World Bible School, I was reviewing some raw footage in video form for one of our potential World Bible School courses on our online uh, platform of Methodist, which is a social media group Bible study tool. And while looking through that video footage, uh, it, it brought up the beauty and the majesty of what God does through childbirth. Through the marvel of modern photographer, we, uh, photography, we see here a, a picture of a live human baby before the baby is born. But all of these particular videos were from people who very courageously had volunteered to be interviewed concerning things that had happened in their earlier lives. And in their earlier lives, each of the people in the video interviews share the fact that they had made the decision to participate in sexual sin. Whether it was someone who had no knowledge of God's Word, did not know, uh, had not grown up in the church, and were just following the norms of the world. Or whether it was someone who grew up in the church, but because of peer pressure, because of the pressure in media, they had made the decision to commit the sin of sexual impurity. In each case, as a result, there was an unplanned pregnancy. And then as both the young women and the young men shared their experiences in this, Each of them shared how they had made the tragic decision to end an innocent life through abortion. And in each case, they had no idea what would be shattered inside of them, in their hearts, in their spirits. They had no concept of the pain that they would endure for decades after that. And whether it was the young woman involved or whether it was the young man involved, and there were interviews from both, they related later in life how for years and years they struggled with the question, can I be forgiven? They also struggled with something that happens because we are made in the image of God, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit exist in eternal fellowship together. And because of that fellowship, we too, made in God's image, want to belong. We want to have that sense of belonging spiritually within a family setting. And these two principles came up over and over and over again with those being interviewed. Can I be forgiven And will I ever belong again? There was another facet of the interviews that became a common theme as I was listening to them. And they were quite poignant. I I found myself with tears in my eyes listening to these accounts from these very courageous people. But in each case, they usually would refer to the church with this context. The church was not there for me. The church was hypocritical towards me. The church didn't work like I needed the church to work. And as I continued listening to these accounts, it struck me, and as we discussed it as an eldership, it struck all of us how if only, if only, These young people had known how God views the church. What a difference could have been made. What different choices might have been made. What different conclusions might have been made. This is a common experience in our world. And we spent time studying together why do so many have that view of the church. Well, one reason that that might be we see in the book of Ephesians chapter 1 in verse 3, if you want to turn there briefly, we're going to look at this before our main passage. Here it says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. You see, here in Ephesians, a book that gives us glimpses into the bigger picture, both the, the earthly picture and the heavenly picture, it tells us that there are indeed two concurrent realities happening in parallel at the same time. This artist's rendition of Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane begins to show that reality where Jesus in uh, incarnate in his earthly flesh is praying to his heavenly father, and an angel was sent to comfort him. There are two concurrent realities happening every minute of every day, and we must understand this. It is the reality of the heavenlies and the reality of the earthlies. Now, if you will turn over to Ephesians chapter 5, starting in verse 25 we're going to begin looking at the heavenly reality as revealed in the book of Ephesians where the Apostle Paul is teaching about the glorious nature of the church. He says, starting in verse 25, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her so that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word that he might present to himself the church in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she would be holy and blameless. This is the picture that the Apostle Paul is painting for us in these passages. Yes, it's talking about an earthly reality of marriage, but there's a heavenly reality behind it. Let's work backwards through several verses. Let's start in verse 27, that he, Jesus, might present to himself the church in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she would be holy and blameless. You see, this is the spiritual heavenly reality of how God views his church. This is how God views us. It reminds me of when my uh, oldest foster son, who had had a, a tough life growing up, he had always wondered, would he ever be able to experience the blessings of a Christian bride and a Christian home, or were the decisions he had made earlier in his life going to prevent him from ever experiencing those blessings? Well. As he went on and, and got a job and was working hard, uh, Sandra and I moved to Africa to serve as missionaries. And we were in the country of South Africa one night when we got a call and it was Michael saying, I've, I've met her. I've met the young lady and I've asked her to be my bride and I need you to come perform the ceremony. I said, well, Michael, I'm, I'm only about 12,000 miles away at the moment. And he said, it's okay, we've just begun our plan, so we'll work out our calendars, but want you to be there to perform the ceremony. So I was there, and we were on the left-hand side of the stage at the Volte Church of Christ in Nashville. And Michael was to my left with his groomsmen. And if you've ever been to Volte, you know the, the center aisle is one of those really long ones. And in the back, the two doors opened, and the father and his daughter came in, and she was dressed in her wedding dress, and then this big old football player type fellow named Michael, he started sobbing. And I thought, oh, it's going to be a long service. (laughs) But what he was struck by was the incredible beauty, the incredible privilege, the glory, if you will, of his bride, and that God had afforded him the blessing to experience a Christian marriage. And as she came down that aisle, he was thinking of the holiness and the glory of his bride, and it overwhelmed him. This is what Jesus sees in relationship to his church when he speaks of his church in Scripture. Verse 26 says, so that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word. This is the first side of the definition of sanctification. Sanctification is one of those words in Scripture that it's like a two-sided coin. There's two definitions for the same word, but there's two aspects to it. The first one is what Jesus does for us. He sanctifies us, and that is what he does. He did that through his blood. He did that by the washing of water with the Word, of course, the washing being that point at which we obey the gospel and are baptized, the Word, of course, being we only understand what the gospel is, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, and we only understand what the washing is, that point when we've obeyed the gospel, believing that Jesus is God's Son, repenting of our sins, naming Him as our Lord and Savior. And then sharing in that death, burial, and resurrection through the act of baptism, where we die to our old life, we rise to a new life, we are sanctified, reserved for God. And so that is how and why Jesus sees us as glorious, blameless, and beautiful before His eyes. Verse 2 says, husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave Himself up. For her and so as we consider how we view the church and how we talk about the church this is the image this is the wording that God uses to express this heavenly reality to us that we are to love the church and that we are to give ourselves to the church so concerning how we think Ask yourself this morning, do you love the church? How do you speak about the church in your family or with your friends or at the office or at school? Do you jump to defend the church when questions or derogatory statements are made? Do you know how to defend the honor of the church? Do you have the vocabulary that you need to defend the the church. This is what we're going to be studying together this morning because as the passages we have just read indicate, we are being called to accept a heavenly reality by faith, the reality as revealed from the very mind of God. That is what we're called to take into our own belief system and let it transform our words and our behaviors. As the elders were studying this together, one of our elders, who's fairly quiet, a quiet elder, he raised his hand and he made this comment. It was profound. If we make the church only earthly, we will be tempted to make it only human. That's what Bill Goff said in one of our elders' meetings. I thought that a great statement. Other passages that help us understand how God talks about His church, Ephesians chapter 3, 9 through 10. Just turn over there to that passage where it reads, to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. So that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. Do you realize that you are being used of God to provide His manifold wisdom to the rulers and authorities in heavenly places? This is the bigger picture. And so how we think and talk about the church matters not only to us, it matters in the heavenlies as well. Look over in 1 Timothy 3, verse 15 through 16. Here the Apostle Paul is telling a young evangelist that he has been mentoring about how to think and how to speak about the Lord's church. He says to Timothy, know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of truth. In this picture you see a a giant cathedral, and those cathedrals were built with huge windows in order to bring light into the buildings. A wall with a window that big would always collapse until a pillar and buttress was built to hold the wall up so that huge windows and an immense amount of light could flood into the building. In the same way today, the light of the gospel and the light of God's truth shine into the world because His church is the pillar and buttress of truth. That is our role in the world today. What a difference in those young people's lives. Had they known, had they known how God views His church, and they had known His truths, it could have changed everything in their experience. First Peter chapter 2 and verse 17 reads, "'Honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor.'" We've been studying the book of 1 Peter in several of our classes over the last year, and as we've looked at that, we've been challenged with our identity in Christ. And here Peter, an apostle and an elder in the church, is challenging us, us with some very large principles. Honor everyone. Well, that sounds like a tall order. If any of you have spent any time in the brotherhood, you know that loving the brotherhood can be a tall order at times. And then the one to top it off, honor the emperor. The emperor was not a warm, fuzzy fellow. He insisted on being called God. And he particularly excelled at persecuting and murdering Christians. But here Peter is challenging us. We have to have our minds set in the bigger objective of the heavenlies. And understand how God is viewing reality in order to be And understand who we are as the church today. Let's look back at Ephesians 5, 25-32. Starting in verse 28 now. To see the heavenly side contrasted with the earthly side of that reality. Verse 28. So husbands ought also to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his own wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ also does the church, because we are members of His body. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother, and shall be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh." This is an earthly reality in the institution of marriage. And the Christian home, yet notice the last passage ties it back to the heavenly reality that we're being challenged to accept by faith. Verse 32, this mystery is great, but I am speaking with reference to Christ and the church. So why do people still feel like blaming the church? Well, it's real and that happens quite often. Sometimes we ourselves are tempted to blame the church. Really it's not that hard to understand when we go back all the way to Genesis chapter 3 and as sin entered the world, as as Adam and Eve and, and Satan interacted there, when God showed up to hold people to account to the first sins committed, what was the first response? It was the blame game. And even today as we make sinful decisions, we are tempted to look to blame others. And so it is understandable how people will blame the church sometimes. Now we do not make excuses for where the church sometimes fails or where there is weakness within the church. But again, there is a dual reality here that we have to learn about, believe in, and then figure out a vocabulary how to productively be obedient in our reflection of the reality as God sees it. That's our Christian obligation. So let's look at the second part of sanctification, that second definition that is the other side of the coin of sanctification. And I believe this is where often people blame the church and play the blame game. First Thessalonians chapter 4 verses 3 through 4 speaks of this type of sanctification which is not God's side of sanctification, it is our side of sanctification. Starting in verse 3, it reads, For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor. You see, this is the part that after Jesus makes us who we are, perfect in Christ, saints in fellowship with God, all holy, all perfect, There is a lifetime of growing into maturity in Christ. That's our role of maturation. But sometimes we make the mistake of looking at the failures of individual Christians who are at all different points on that spectrum of growth, of spiritual maturity. And we want to talk about the church as if those individual Failures or those individual immaturities are the bigger reality. And that is a mistake indeed. You see, the passages that we're talking about marriage talks about the fact that the two become one. Now, this is hard to get our minds wrapped around. And again, it draws us in marriage to the reality that when two people commit to one another in marriage... There is a dual reality. When Sandra and I married, it became obvious pretty quickly to me that we're two very different individuals. Those can be challenging early days in a marriage. We had to grow into oneness, and in reality, we are still growing into oneness. But on the day of our wedding vows, in God's sight, He made us one. And so there is a heavenly reality and there is an earthly reality. Well, married couples have to learn how to talk about that together. We have to learn a new vocabulary to express the reality that exists as a mystery, perhaps, as the Apostle said, within holy matrimony. He talks about how we nurture one another as we nurture our own flesh. As we take care of ourselves, suddenly the other spouse in the marriage becomes extremely important as we nurture them. In like manner, we become one with Christ when we obey the gospel in Acts 2 and 38 and following we find out that when we obey the gospel when we are baptized we rise to a newness of life Jesus himself places us in his church we become the body of Christ we become the bride of Christ and so suddenly we are in Jesus Christ and thus nurturing That relationship, nurturing our relationship as the bride of Christ to our Lord and Savior, becomes a responsibility that each of us have in Christ Jesus. And there's a heavenly side of that, and there's an earthly side of that. Chivalry must not die. Here you see a young man that's got it right from an early day in his life. As he is being chivalrous. When Sandra and I chose to get married, we went to a good friend of mine, Gene Arnold, a great preacher of the Word, a missionary behind the Iron Curtain. And he did our our marriage counseling for us before we decided uh, to, uh, to set our date for marriage. And I'll never forget one of the most important lessons he taught us then. He said, now... When you get married, you're going to find out some of the differences between you, between the two of you, and you will be tempted to say a derogatory word about your spouse. Well, you know you're not supposed to do that. But when you're alone with your friends away from your spouse, there might be an opportunity to start complaining about marriage. Or someone may actually say a derogatory word towards you or to you about your spouse. At that moment, you must never say a derogatory word and rather you must come to the defense of your spouse. You must be chivalrous and stand and defend your spouse's name. That is your responsibility in Christian marriage. But this mystery is talking about Christ and His church. And so, there will be days perhaps in the earthly side of the church, we get discouraged or something happens that makes us upset, that doesn't sit well with us, and we want to say a derogatory word. Even perhaps we may be outside of the church with our friends some of our family, perhaps our business co-workers, our schoolmates, and we might be tempted to point a finger of blame and a derogatory word about the bride of Christ. We must be careful because in that moment we are called to jump to the defense of the church. To speak the words of the glory and the blamelessness and the holiness of the bride of Christ. That is our Christian responsibility as members of His church. There are two realities taking place here. In this particular passage in John 18 verse 36, Jesus Himself answered by saying, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews, but my kingdom is not from this world. You see, we, when we enter into Christ, we become a part of something far greater than any earthly nation, from any earthly organization, from any earthly association. We become a part of the kingdom of Christ, and we must grow up into the responsibilities of that culture. We must take on the values and the vocabulary of that culture and that is what Paul in Ephesians is challenging us to think about, to accept by faith and to put in obedient faith in our vocabulary and in our behavior every day. You see, there is a spiritual warfare going on and people will attack the church and we will be tempted to talk about the church just on an earthly plane, at that moment we must stand up and be heard to defend the bride of Christ with every opportunity that we have. And for those of you here today, please hear, there is no word of judgment for those individuals who were courageous enough to be on those videos where they were giving their their experiences of tragic decisions early in life. Because every responsible adult here this morning has made the same decision one way or another to sin. And all of us have had to been taken into the arms of Jesus Christ where there is forgiveness of sin. Let's look at Ephesians chapter 1. have two more passages to look at this morning. Ephesians chapter 1, two segments, one verse 6 through 10 and the second one 15 through 23. Here the Apostle Paul says, to the praise of His glorious grace with which He has blessed us in the Beloved, in Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of His grace which He lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of His will, according to His purpose which He set forth in Christ, as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in Him, things in heaven and things on earth." Here you see the heavenlies and the earthlies together. Moving on to verse 15. which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Had those young people early in their lives who made tragic decisions of sin and had to live through tragic circumstances and consequences for those sins, only known that, yes, forgiveness The hope of forgiveness is assured. It is paid for. Jesus is there, ready to forgive. But along with that, there is this thing called the church, which is glorious, which is beautiful, which is pure, which is blameless. And there you belong. The invitation is open. And the reason I say there is no one looking down their nose pointing a finger of judgment is all of us have had to be forgiven the same way. All of us who have obeyed that gospel have been added to His church where we now belong as a spiritual family in fellowship with our Creator God. And we want that desperately for everyone. We want every young person and old person alike to know that that forgiveness is there. That that truth that guides us as a light in the darkness is there for us. And that the spiritual family, the church of Christ, is there for you to belong in from now and into eternity. Let's close with one last passage from Revelation, verse 22, verse 16 and 17. And here we see this same imagery of the bride of Christ given where it reads, chapter 22, starting in verse 16, "'I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you about these things for the churches. I am the root and the descendant of David, the bright morning star. The Spirit and the bride say, come, and let the one who hears say, come, And let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who desires take the water of life without price. This morning, if you have any doubt that you have the hope of forgiveness, believe in the words of Jesus. If you want to belong and let the sins of the past be washed clean and to rise in newness of life, we're here to assist you in the obedience of that gospel, the water is ready for baptism. If you are ready to repent, naming Jesus as your Lord, believing that He is the Son of God, we can help you this morning put on Christ so that you too can be a Christian and be added to His church. If you have been walking in such a way that you have made the mistake publicly of making derogatory statements about the bride of Christ. Perhaps you will find it helpful and needful to repent this morning. This family is ready to lift you up in prayer so that that forgiveness can flow into your life and you can begin growing a mature relationship in the body of Christ as the bride of Christ. Perhaps you have the need of prayers for a struggle you're facing There is no more loving family that would love to lift up your needs to our Father in prayer this morning than this congregation. If we can help you in any way, won't you come while together we stand and while we sing?